Whoa, hello, and welcome back to the Andy Social Podcast. You'll be very surprised to know that my name is Andy, funnily enough. I am the host of this podcast, and I also play bass in the Australian metal band called Lord. So this, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, there's a bit of backstory. You'll be aware of this week's guest, and I'll get to him very shortly. I've literally just got off the phone to him, so I'm a little bit overwhelmed by it, to be honest. <laughs> so I'll, I'll get to that uh, in a moment. But um, we're back in action. Uh, thank you so much for those that have been loyal listeners and have been patient while we're getting back on track. We've had uh, a couple of small breaks or one large break and a, a small break afterwards. And uh, I'm looking forward to really sort of getting back into the flow of uh, pumping out episodes on a weekly basis. So this is the first of, of three episodes that will be coming out over the next few weeks all linked together um, with a common theme. And uh, that will take us into 2017 with hopefully quite a few interesting guests to come. Um, first and foremost, a little bit of housekeeping, just to get that out of the way. Um, if you want to find uh, all the info about this episode and all of my previous episodes, you can go to andysocial.net. All the show notes and links and everything are there, uh, including uh, tickets. If you need to buy tickets for anything that is upcoming, um, if you want to buy music or anything as such, that's the best resource to go to first. Um, and that will direct you into a number of different areas that uh, you can uh, look into these uh, guests a little bit further and support them. Uh, if you want to support via uh, social media, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, YouTube. If you just search for Andy Dowling, you should be able to find me via those links. But it's all on andysocial.net as well. Uh, very quickly, also, my only little sponsor segment is my Amazon portal. If you go to andysocial.net and click on the Amazon portal and shop via Amazon using my link, uh, it will give me a very small percentage of what you uh, spend and that will help fund this podcast uh, moving forward. Uh, thank you so much for the people that regularly use it. It's really cool to see a couple of dollars come in here and there that uh, that help this uh, help me cover the, the monthly costs of keeping this podcast up and running and, and also making sure that I can get around the place and talk to, to more people. Um, if you want to be really sneaky and you are a regular shopper on Amazon, you can just go to andysocial.net once, do a right click on that link and just save that link and, and save it into your bookmarks and you can just use it from a bookmark on your browser instead of going to my website each time as well. So there's a little trick and it doesn't change. Nothing of your shopping experience changes apart from clicking on a different link. Um, it's just a, a great way of supporting uh, this podcast. So if you can do that, I'll be forever grateful. All right, enough uh, dribble. I'm going to jump into this podcast guest. Uh, well, um, this was certainly a very uh, <laughs> it was a very cool moment, but um, a little bit unusual as well. Uh, this one's with Carmine Apice. Now, if you don't know who Carmine is, he's an American drummer. He's probably one of the most well-known well known drummers in the rock world. Um, Carmine has worked with almost everyone that you can think of that is a somebody in the music world, especially in rock circles. Some of the people include Ted Nugent, uh, Rod Stewart, Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, he was in the bands Vanilla Fudge, Cactus, King Cobra in the 80s. Um, he's also done, um, I believe he played on Paul Stanley's 
a solo album in the 70s. Um, he's also worked with Marty Friedman. He was on the Hearing Aid project in the 80s. Um, I'm missing so many people. And this is just, I'm just rattling names off the top of my head. But Carmine's done almost everything you could possibly think of. Um, on top of that, he has also written a number of books, a number of uh, drum uh, educational books, teaching books, instructional books, if I can keep giving you random words that uh, articulate the same thing. Um, one of his most famous books is The Realistic Rock Drum Method, which has been revised quite a number of times. I think it's now called The Ultimate Realistic Rock Drum Method. And uh, this book has pretty much been the Bible for drummers over the last few decades. Uh, some of the most well-known drummers um, in the world cite this book as being fundamental in in uh, shaping their skills and making them the, the musicians that they are today. So um, Carmine does talk a little bit about that. And it's actually quite interesting as to how that book even came together and the idea behind it and, um, and how it's been so successful for so many years as well. Um, on the topic of books, he's also released a new book this year that's called Stick It, which is more or less a gigantic biography of his uh of his life, so many stories, and uh, I'm yet to read it myself. I've read a couple of little uh, excerpts online, um, and I think I'll definitely have to digest this one uh, over the coming months um, before they uh, hit Australia or Carmine and his brother, and I'll explain that more in a tick, uh, come to Australia in February next year. Uh, so we speak a little bit about that book and how it came together, a very different approach uh, as opposed to the instructional book that he uh, put together in the early, actually in the early 70s, I should say, not the 80s. Um, and one thing that I will make a note of straight off the bat is I was very, very uh, interested in his approach that he took. Um, this book that he's released now, he's had in mind for the last 30 years and he's built it over time and different opportunities have come and gone. It hasn't quite got over the line and finally it hasn't it's become what it is now as, as a published book. But he was already recording audio in the early 80s of different stories and whatnot to, to recall when it came time to put a book together. Um, and he started putting things together piece by piece. And I really like this because it, it, uh, sings true to what I've been doing over the years as far as doing these podcasts, um, doing daily uh, uh, podcasts in, in the morning that are on my YouTube channel, uh, vlogs, um, writing blogs myself, and also just being a part of music and documenting things as, um, along the way. So um, I think this is a great lesson that I've taken from it that yeah, it's not a race, it's a marathon and um, it's always good to think long-term and start uh, building things piece by piece as you go. Um, but I'll let Carmine get into a lot more of that in the episode. Um, it is a little bit of a, a shonky, shonky is not the word, a bit of a shaky episode in the sense that um, Carmine was a bit surprised with this phone call. So we had a, a scheduled uh, time to, to call and uh, I think uh, we got some of the details mixed up. So um, he actually wasn't expecting my call. And funnily enough, um, didn't realize that um, I'll be playing in his backing band when uh, Carmine and Vinny come to Australia in February. So it took a little bit of uh, the conversation to get to the point where uh, it sort of clicked and we and we, we were able to lock in and, and talk a bit about the tour and, and him realizing that I was going to be uh, 
be their bass players. So uh, that was quite amusing. And and uh, as Carmine wasn't aware that I was calling, um, he was kind of doing a few things here and there in the background also. So I'll, I'll get Damien to do a little bit of uh, editing just to clean it up a little bit, but um, you will notice a few things along the way. But um, I kind of like that. It, it, it makes things a little bit more spontaneous. Um, there was heaps and heaps of questions that I had and topics that I really wanted to discuss with Carmine, but just didn't get the time. As you can see, this is a very short episode. Um, so it's not something normally that um, I would do, but just given the link that I have with, uh, with Carmine and his brother Vinny um, early next year, um, I thought this would be a great opportunity to have a chat. So it is short. Um, maybe we can get a part two sometime beforehand, or maybe we can do the part two when they're in Australia uh, next year. Now on the topic of next year, because I haven't actually given anyone any details. Now, this is all about the Drum Wars Tour. So if you're in Australia, uh, I would strongly recommend that uh, you look into this. Uh, it's So it's Carmine and Vinnie Apice, their Drum Wars Tour. Basically, it's the two of them getting together. They're both, you know, highly... Uh, highly uh, skilled and famous drummers. I'm really lost for words. I'm still coming off the, the effects of talking to Carmine, so I'm, <laughs> I'm all over the place. Um, but these two are amazing drummers. They've played with with everybody. Uh, Vinny's worked with uh, Black Sabbath, Dio. Um, Carmine's, as I said before, has worked with almost everyone under the sun. And they're going to be bringing a lot of the songs that they've both been associated with over the years and performing them live uh, at two shows in Sydney and Melbourne. And they will have a backing band, which by the time this podcast comes out, it will be announced. So it'll be me that will be their bass player, which is really, really cool. I'm, I'm blown away that I've been given this opportunity to, to be able to play with two legends. Um, and the guitarist, which I'm just as excited about, is Mike Mills from Toe Hider. Uh, so for those who aren't aware of Mike Mills, Mike Mills is just a I think he's a musician god. This guy is just multi-skilled. Um, he's a one-man band in, in so many ways, um, released a number of albums under the Toe Hider name. Um, he's just an incredible songwriter and performer, uh, an amazing guy. And uh, for anyone in the metal world, um, he's been heavily associated with the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this name, the Arion Project um, and is on the upcoming album. I think he was on the previous album as well and is on the live DVD. So um, Mike's certainly making a big name for himself out there in the, the rock and metal world himself. And um, the extra cream on the crate, uh, on the crate, on the cake, is that Mike and I actually played a Dio tribute show um, a year after Ronnie's death. Um, and we played a whole bunch of Dio Sabbath and Rainbow songs. So we've already played a number of these songs that will be in the set list next year together. So there's already some great chemistry between the two of us. So um, this is really, really cool. So the dates really quickly, and I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate these at the end of the episode. Um, there are two shows. So the two shows themselves is Friday, February 17th. That'll be at the Factory Theatre in Sydney. And then Saturday, February 18th at Max Watts in Melbourne. Those are the two shows. Now, in addition to them, there's also two really cool drum clinics. So the drum clinics are the day before and the day after the shows. So in Sydney, it's Thursday, February 16th at the Factory Theatre. So the same venue as the show. 
And then in Melbourne, it's Sunday, February 19th, which is at uh, Croxton Park. And that will be where the drum clinic is for the for the both of them. So um, if you're a drummer or you're even half interested in drumming or you just love what Vinny and Carmine have done over the years, I would highly recommend going to both the drum clinic and the show itself. And if you want to be really adventurous, uh, you know, make a weekend out of it and come to Sydney and Melbourne and and uh, do the whole thing. But uh, this is going to be really cool. Tickets are available through Hardline Media and there's meet and greet uh, packages available. Um, what I would do at this point in time, so you want to get tickets, go to hardlinemedia.net and all the details are there. Um, but over the next uh, couple of months, I'll have some more details. Potentially you might be able to buy some cheaper tickets through me directly. Um, and I'll have more details. I'll keep plugging this tour because it's just really, really cool. And it's a, it's a great opportunity for me as a, as a musician, but also just um, to be exposed to, to, to some incredible people. Um, this, is, this is really, really fun and, and a great opportunity for the podcast as well. All right, enough of this. Um, this episode is going to be Carmine. Next week will be Vinny, and then the week after, hopefully, and I haven't got this recorded as of yet, it should hopefully be uh, Mike Mills after that, but we'll play it by ear. Hopefully we can get it over the line. Anyway, enough rambling. Thank you so much for being so patient, and hopefully you haven't fast-forwarded through all that important information. Please enjoy this very quick but very fun conversation with Carmine. My big question that I have to you, I guess, to get the things going is with your longevity and all the people that you've worked with over the years, has there been a, uh-huh. I guess, a, a hidden secret that you've used to try and ensure that you've stayed in front of the pack and always try to look for new opportunities? Well, it's just uh, not per se be in front of the pack, but I always look for opportunities. I mean, when no matter what I'm doing, you know, if I go to a play or a Broadway show and I see something that I say, wow, that's interesting. How could I use that? You know, or, you know, so I'm always, my mind is always open to new ideas. And uh, that's, you know, it's, I don't know if that's a good part of my career or a bad part because, you know, for instance, uh, uh, when I was blown off the uh, Jeff Beck blow-by-blow record because you know, they wouldn't uh, give me and my manager what we wanted, uh, I went and did my own record like that, but then uh, CBS was the label, and they said, well, we don't know if we could market this because you're known as a rock drummer, not a jazz rock guy, you know? So I was, you know, this was 1977, you know? So it was like right in the era of when when all that jazz rock stuff was happening, and, uh, you know, I, I, I turned Jeff Beck in that direction, you know, and I wanted to be in that direction as well. But, you know, so it was something like that. When I did my slam show, you know, it was an opportunity to do that. And, and I was trying not to do the same old, same old, you know, yeah. no matter what I do, I try and change it enough to, you know, but I'm always looking for opportunities, uh, for, you know, when I wrote my book, I released my book, stick it, mm. you know, mm. uh, you know, my, my logic with that was to do the book and try and get, you know, as many books sold as possible and then try and get into uh, the speaking arena because now I'll be an author, yeah. you know, so, so that's always the way I've worked. You know, when I wrote Realistic Rock, it was the same kind of thing. You know, I just, just went off on a limb. I just did it. Absolutely. So it's, it's just keeping that open mind, I guess, for, for whatever potential opportunities are out there. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you know, I mean, now that I'm you know, my age, I don't go after quite as much, you know, like, like gun hole like I was when I was younger. When I was younger, I was like unstoppable. Mm. 
And I had a, in the 80s, I had a great manager that no matter what I decided to do, you know, he made it happen, you know. When I came up with, <laughs> I wanted to do a solo album, a second solo album. And uh, I came up with the idea to do a guitar Zeus record. We're doing a guitar album by a drummer, you know. Mm, yeah. Which was crazy, you know, and, and it worked. You know, I sold a lot of those records around the world. And uh, it made me uh, a good income. And it gave me a whole different... Uh, perspective for a solo album you know absolutely and uh yeah so it's just a, i looked at opportunities and came up with ideas that present those opportunities and then found out how to facilitate the opportunities and make them realistic you know and make them happen yeah and and looking like i, I had a look at your website the other day and i was going through all the things that you've done over the years because it's like a long epic list of all the things that you've achieved and 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 been a part of and the thing that really fascinated me was and you've just touched on this is all the different different streams that you're involved with whether it be a book that you released this year performing teaching um, I even saw a mention of a record label that's been started up uh, you've got your online store you've just spread yourself out in as many directions as possible and I think a lot of especially young musicians probably don't really get that and they're all focused on probably the one thing of potentially just getting on stage and performing when it's probably a really good idea to to really branch out in a few different directions. Well, it is a good idea because, uh, especially if you, be, if you like uh, my brother Vinny, when he was with Dio and Sabbath and all that, I'd say to him, when he had off, he wouldn't do anything. Yeah. You know, I'd say, Vinny, why don't you do some clinics, do something, you know, while you're in that, that league, you should do that, you know? And uh, only after Ronnie died did he realize that, you know, he should do that. And that's what he's been doing ever since. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and... Uh, you know, so you have to do it. You know, I, when I did it, I didn't really do it, uh, you know, with any uh, plan. You know, like when I wrote the Realistic Rock book, I wrote it because I went into a music store and I saw the books that were out. They, they called them rock and roll books. And <laughs> the image of the book was totally wrong and the material was terrible. So I said, I'm going to write a book. And I just wrote it. Yeah. You know, every day, instead of partying with Cactus every night, I would sit down and I'd write two or three pages of stuff. And I'd I wrote the book the way I actually learned to play drums, you know, different grooves and how it built. And, it followed. and I, I used the Chapin book as a basis, yep. you know, and, uh, and I wrote the book. And when I got it, a deal, I didn't even know that, that this was a good deal. But my, my attorney got me a very small advance. It was like $500. Hmm. But the great thing about the advance and the book deal was I owned the copyright. Oh. I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> Well, I didn't even know what that really meant. And, and now here it is, you know, 30, 45 years later, that copyright has made a lot of money and opened up a, a whole different world for my uh, career on the educational part, which is now not, you know, blooming like it used to be because of, you know, the way everything is today, with the internet and lack of clinics and all that stuff. But uh, Ludwig Drum Company wanted me to do clinics when I was with Vanilla Fudge, and I, 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 I thought I was too much of a pop star. Mm. You know, I just wanted to play and have fun, and I don't want to go out working. You know, do that. But when I wrote the book, I was with Cactus. I, I, I was told by Ludwig, "Well, look, now that you got the book, we should book clinics for you so you can sell the book, mm. and, and and we'll order a thousand books a year from the publisher." And uh, and it's just like the record business. He says, you go out on tour and you sell records, you do clinics and you sell books. I said, oh, okay. And I remember the first year I sold over 3,000 books and Joe Morello, who was a friend of mine, flipped out and he said, my God, that is huge. I said, really? 
Yeah, I was used to selling four, five, six hundred thousand records, you know? <laughs> so, so three thousand books didn't seem like much to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so uh so basically it was kind of uh, enlightening and then when I started doing the books and I started uh doing the clinics, I, I got some real satisfaction out of it, you know? Absolutely. It, so, I assume it'd be a different type of fulfillment doing that as opposed to playing on stage and being a recording artist as well. That opened up a whole new part of my career that there was a big moneymaker, especially when I moved to LA and I started getting different book deals, you know, I would like, uh, you know, get these big advances and then pay them off and then get big advances and pay them off. And I said, Oh, I see. Now I know why I own the copyright. (laughs) (laughs) It all all fell into place. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then, then it became like, you know, it's a piece of property. Yeah. You know, literally, I, I can honestly say that book has made me probably over the years, you know, over a million dollars. Yeah, incredible. Absolutely incredible. It is incredible. It is incredible, you know, and I didn't even know what I was doing. I just wanted to release a book, <laughs> you know? And was it, I mean... Because I, because I went into the store that day. I saw a book. I said, I'm going to do a book. And uh, I didn't know it was going to come, what it was going to become and all the people that went through it, like, you know, Greg Bissonette and Dave Weckl and uh, Andrew, Andrew Dice Clay, the comedian. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so many well. people went through that book. <laughs> you know, the Foo Fighters drummer, this drummer, Joey, uh, Joey, uh, what's it, from Slipknot, Joey. Uh, uh, Jordan, I think. Uh, yeah, 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 Jordan. Yeah. He went through the book. I mean, so many people went through it. It's become like a an amazing milestone for me, you know? Yeah, definitely. Was it a hard book to write, to write when you first got started with it? So you had the idea, but to really sort of stay disciplined, as you said, not going out and partying with the rest of the guys in Cactus and trying to just get this book out, was it difficult for you to try and go through that? Because it would have been new for you. That. No, it actually was easy. Yeah, right. You know, because cause I knew what I wanted to do. I just wanted to have a, a sort of a progression, but not you know, a lot of these drum books that were written at the time were written on five, five. Are you a musician? Yes. Oh, no. Yes. Okay. So it was written on a five line staff, which made it very difficult to read. And it was written almost every mathematical combination of a certain 16th notes, you know, every math, even if they don't work. Yep. You know, yeah. even if they don't bore you, the drummer doesn't play like that. You yeah, know, yeah. it was just written like obviously by somebody that didn't really know rock music. Mm. So I so the way I wrote it was I wrote it to uh, um, <clears throat> to enable the student to be able to play with the band mm. upon reading this book. Like after reading the first five or six pages, if they really got those grooves down, they can go play with the band. Yeah, you know, that was the idea of it to. to to teach him, and then as it went on and on, uh, you know, in the book, when the first uh, it, the first edition, you know, it got a little more difficult. But then, as the book itself went on year by year, you know, I, I updated it in uh, I think seventy uh, eight when I did the Ludwig drum set on the cover, and I actually updated the um, some of the material, and then uh, I updated it again. And the next time I updated it was like ninety two. You know, then I started adding, you know, so, so now you got a complete realistic rock that goes from, that's why I call it the ultimate realistic rock now, because it starts at the very beginning, you know, playing, you know, a quarter note groove. By the time you're done with the book, you're into playing linear grooves, you're into playing seven, eight, nine, eight timings. We had CDs that went along with it that had music in nine, eight, seven, eight, and all that stuff. 
you know, and uh, and and I guess know, and I guess so, the big thing with that is just making it initially practical for for drummers, just to to get the practicality exactly. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, yeah, on the, on now, the, now, now you got these idiots on on the <laughs> internet scan the whole book in eighteen seconds. You could download the whole book. Oh, hey, you know, it's terrible. Oh, terrible don't, don't get me terrible. started on that. It's uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's don't a big get challenge. me started on it either. <laughs> <laughs> and that and Spotify and all that baloney. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. On the topic of writing, and obviously with the book that you've released this year, your new book, did you have? To, I mean, did you mm-hmm. take a similar? I know it's very different different books because one's instructional and one's about more or less your, your entire life. Do right. you still have to approach it a similar way where you just did chunk by chunk and started putting things together? Because I know that you had uh, somebody help put it together for you and release yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I, the, the, the writer I had was uh, given to me. Originally, my book was, uh, the Stick It book, was uh, going to be on VH1 books. And then uh, they got me the writer, and he wrote Nikki Six's big selling book, yep. The Heroin Diaries. And he did such a great job writing it that they wanted him to write this book with me because I felt that the time, you know, the timeline of the book and, and me as a person and, and everything, you know, wa- warranted this guy to write it because he was a great writer. Hmm. Because I had somebody else write it before and it read like an interview. Oh, but the I way see. I've been doing it, I, you know, I, I did I did tapes in 1982 that uh, I did a dozen 90-minute tapes selling stories into it and then I gave it to my manager. Unfortunately, he, he lost eight of them. No. <laughs> And I had four of them left. Yep. And with the four of them, we transcribed them into 125 pages, which we used as a we used it as a um, a basis for the book, pretty much. Right. And then, you know, and then I kept putting it on the back burner. I mean, I've been writing this thing since the 80s, you know. Yeah. Back burner, back burner. And then uh, they somebody come along and say, I think I can get you a deal. And they take that manuscript, try and get a deal. And then, then it wouldn't happen. It would go on the back burner. And then finally, like, in the early 2000s when I got a computer, I had a computer, I started thinking about, you know, maybe I should take this a little more serious and start writing some stories myself. Mm-hmm. You know, so I had a, I had a list of the different things that I had covered in the cassette, and I just wrote stories, and I had different journalists. I paid a couple hundred bucks to go through it and fix the English and all that. And then when I met my girlfriend, who's a, a Harvard Business School uh, graduate. She has got a great vocabulary, and she helped me with a bunch of the of the uh, chapters to make them look better. And then, and then I ran into this other writer, and little by little, you know, I, I almost had a deal in 2008, and then the, the economy of the world hit the shit. You mm, know? Yeah. And then I told the agent, just forget about it. I yeah, the book companies were firing people, and record companies were firing people. It was just a mess. I, I said, look, I don't want to just go and give everybody the book and everybody passing on it because the business is in turmoil right now. So we just waited. In 2010, I had this other guy write the book and that's when I went on VH1 radio Mm. and they told me, uh, you should write a book and we can release it, you know? And then we put a deal together with them and they said, we love everything, but we don't like the writing. Yeah. So when they, when they did the writing, uh, with this new guy, by the time we were done, VH books, VH1 books went out of business. <laughs> okay. But fortunately, you know, they gave me the copyright back and they paid me my advance. And so we just continued and, uh, and we ended up getting the deal omnibus press for, uh, the UK and Australia and New Zealand and, and, uh, Chicago review press in the, in the States. Now it looks like I'm going to, I'm getting a German translation done now. Right. Uh, Fantastic. As well. 
Yeah, so you know, so it, it was a whole different, whole different thing. You know, this was like an ongoing thing for many, many years, where the the drum book was done in thirty, thirty days, forty days was done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It must have been satisfying finally getting that out to print after so many years of trial and error, and as you said, like even recording your stories in the early eighties, just with the with it in mind, thinking I can yeah. use these later. Yeah, and. Uh, it was it was great getting it out, but I only wish I had it out on on the original deal we had because VH1 Books was was a major uh, book company, and mm. they you know they this company that we're on is a they're both big independents, mm. but they're not a major you know like Simon Schuster or something. Yeah, those people sure. have more power to do stuff. You yeah, know? yeah. And I think I think because of that, it it should should have sold a little more than it did. But as I said, I'm looking for this book to be a stepping stone to, to doing speaking gigs. What I should consider the next step of, you know, you got, I did so many clinics, like this would be the logical step up is to do speaking stuff. You know? Absolutely. I mean, as you said before, right at the start, it's all about keeping an open mind and looking for that next opportunity. Yeah. And I, and, and I still love playing. So I'm doing a lot of playing still and, uh, and playing with my brother is a lot of fun. You know, Absolutely. we do a lot of fun and yeah, the, we don't make you know, huge money doing it because you know we're not really a recorded act that had a hit record. Mm. But uh, we we play a lot of our history stuff, and we're doing something that nobody else is doing. Again, you know that kind of thing. I always try and do stuff that nobody else is doing. You know to keep the separation. Yeah, that's right, and that's the, I think that's a really cool thing about this tour. And um, and I mentioned at the start and uh, about me being in your backing band. Because um, I'm going right. to be, I'm going to be your so bass player. What are you? What are you? The guitar? Or the bass player? Bass player. Yeah. So actually, on that, on so you that, got all the material. Right? You got all the material. I got it all through. Yeah. So I've been going through it. So yeah, okay. I'm quite excited right. to to, right. to play with you both. But actually, on that on that topic, really quickly, and this is a bit of yeah. a, this is a bit of a fun question. But given that you've done a few of these drum wars shows previously with with Vinny, um, you've had you play with a number of musicians in the drum wars shows. What advice? What advice do you have to me as your bass player on the Australian shows? Um, what do I need to keep in mind or be prepared for? Well, the hardest thing for the bass player and the guitar player in the show is like when we do Crazy Train yep. or Stand Up and Shout, that where you guys are holding the grooves and me and Vinny are taking fours. Yeah. Okay. So probably the the best thing to do in that situation is you and the guitar player be close together, even if you're behind us, yep. you know, so you're like watching each other and, and you're totally in sync with each other and you don't get lost on what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because some of the stuff that we do is, is off the wall and it goes out of time a bit with these linear things that we sometimes do. And, and basically we've lost a lot of bass player and guitar players <laughs> in those areas. Yep. Yeah, you know, they just get lost because they saw listening to us and not themselves, and you can't do that. And I guess traditionally, you're always like from a rhythm section point of view, you want you always want the bass to lock in with the drums. But in a situation yeah. like that, yeah. you have to really sort of think outside the box. Yeah, and, I mean, and this, yeah. we do lock in with the bass player, but like you know, like Vinny will do a, a fill and I'll, he'll start it and I'll finish it. Yeah, yeah, you know, stuff like that, and and we go on and off the beat. I help play two and four. And, I might play the one and three for a minute, and then we'll both slam back in on the two and four. Or you know, he'll do quarter notes on the snare, and I'll go to the ends. It'll be up tempo kind of. Okay. You know, and then we'll do that for eight bars, and we'll slam back into where the one is. You know. Cool. So 
we just we just fool around with the time, you know. And that's and that's good. And so, the the guitarist that will be in the band, I know him very well as well. So we've already got a bit of chemistry between the two right. of us. So I think that'll help yeah. quite a bit. And bringing our own bringing our own singer makes it easy, you know. Yeah. Because he he knows what the front the band and what we where we work the band and like and do you think I'm sexy when we get the audience singing? Then we go to the up tempo <laughs> and then it down and then it then it ends, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, cool. So, so All right. Closer, you know. I'll, I'll make sure that I'm ready for you. Okay. <laughs> so it makes it easy. It makes it easy when the band is ready. Absolutely. You know, going to rehearsal makes it easy because you know, let's just go through the set and see what happens. You know? Yeah, yeah. We've done our homework yeah. before. We did that in Europe. I mean, we've done about seventy-five shows of this already. Okay. Cool. You know? Yeah. And uh, we've done it. You know, we started out. The original idea was to pick up bands every place we go. You know, because. Uh, because we, 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 you know, if you go out and you make, you know, three or four thousand dollars, five thousand dollars a night, and you got to bring a whole band, there's no money to be made. It's, <laughs> yes. it's a waste of time. Yeah. You yeah. know, so we thought we'd do like Chuck Berry used to do. Chuck Berry used to, he used to pull into a, a gig just by himself and he'd play whatever the band was in. And he'd go, look, if I'm not in G, I'm in A. If I'm not in A, I'm in G. <laughs> you know, and then uh, then they just call the songs, uh, you know. And I I backed them up one time, and that's how I knew. So, so we thought if we if we um, do songs that everybody knows, uh, heavy metal songs that people know, and we send we send them the uh, MP3s and everything, yeah. Then we then we can just go in and uh, you know and and play the show, you know, and rehearse a day or, or rehearse a sound check. And then when we went to Europe in 2012, they gave us a, a proper band for the whole tour. And that's where we really developed the show. Because yep. you know? originally it was more drum oriented and less rock concert. Sure. You know? So we, uh, we ended up doing that and uh, developed the show. And then since then, we've been you know, utilize, utilizing that concept of what we came up with back then. You know? And now... We've developed it more. Like we have an intro tape that's very funny, as you heard on the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's that's part of the fun, you know. Yeah, I'll I'll make sure I've done my homework beforehand, so we'll be we'll be ready to go really quickly before. And I know you've you're pressed for time. Um, one question just on the topic of um, you know, you working with so many different musicians over the years, and especially now at Drum Wars, where you have to go into situations all the time with brand new musicians and have to pick things up very quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've dealt with so many personalities over the years and big egos and small egos and whatnot. Do you have a tactic that you take when you try and build a relationship with someone for the first time that you have to play with? No, we just uh, try and be ourselves and uh, try, you know, try and treat everybody fairly and good. And, and if, if we can sense uh, yeah, a couple of times there's some guys that are ego, egoed out, we just, you know, I let Vinny be the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, it's a good guy, good guy, bad guy routine, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he'll, he'll just go in and say, hey, look, dude, you know, I know you want to take a solo and you want to be up front, but, you know, you can't hold the stage. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Have you, you know? have you had those problems in the past, like back in the 80s or the 70s when you've done a lot of session work or worked with nah, some of those bigger, bigger really. artists? No? Not really, no. Well, I, no. I've, got, I've got Vinny tomorrow, so I'll do Vinny. And, oh, then, okay, cool. and I'll keep in touch with you guys via email anyway, and I'll keep you updated. But um, right. this is this is okay. really cool. Thank Beautiful. you so much for spending some time to have a chat. Okay, mate. All See right. You See you, come on. All See right, you. Ciao. Ooh. All right. How was that? Hey, very quick, <laughs> a bit all over the place, but um, some really cool things that we talked about there. So I hope you enjoyed that. 
Um, as discussed, I'm hoping that um, we can do a part two at some stage down the track. Um, getting into December, it's just crazy now. And um, I've got to, uh, at, the, at the time of recording this uh, this outro, I've still got to do uh, Vinny's one tomorrow. And I'm going to do Mike's uh, Mike Mills one uh, next week. So hopefully they all go to plan. And um, I'll have some cool episodes coming up. But uh, if we can't do a part two, then maybe we can do something with uh, both Vinny and Carmine uh, when they do eventually get to Australia in February. So very quickly, uh, the important information is the Carmine and Vinny Drum Wars Apathy Tour. Now, this is Vinny and Carmine drumming together. It's a bit of a drum wars battle between the two of them. Myself, Andy Dowling from the Australian metal band Lord will be on bass and Mike Mills, famously known from uh, his work in Toehider, will be on guitar. This is going to be really cool. We're going to, this is going to be something completely outside the comfort zone, something very different, um, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun and, and highly entertaining for anyone that's coming along. Uh, tickets are available through hardlinemedia.net. Um, if you don't get them straight away now, um, just stay tuned over the coming weeks. Hopefully I have a bit more information. You may be able to buy some tickets uh, directly from me as well, but um, we'll play that by ear as to how that all pans out. There are also meet and greet uh, passes or tickets available as well. Um, all the info is on hardlinemedia.net. The dates for the shows, as I said at the start, they're drum clinics and shows. So there's two clinics and two shows in Sydney and Melbourne. So you've got Thursday, February 16th at the Factory Theatre in Sydney for the drum clinic. Then the following day from Friday the 17th of February at the same venue, the Factory Theatre for the show. Then on Saturday, February 18th, the show is at Max Watts. And then on Sunday, February 19th in Melbourne is the Drum Clinic at Croxton Park. So if you're a drum fan or you're a drummer or you're just a big Apathy fan, uh, I would strongly recommend going to the clinic and the show. And if you really want to be adventurous, why not go to everything uh, in Sydney and Melbourne, make a weekend out of it. Um, if you've got any questions, please contact me directly. I'm happy to find out more info for you. Otherwise, Hardline Media and Hardline Touring will be able to answer any uh, questions you might have about meet and greet passes or tickets or anything of the such. Uh, lastly, just wrapping it up, thank you so much for your patience with the podcast. We're hopefully back into full swing now. Lots of things happening, cool episodes as this one has been. And uh, if you want to support it, share those YouTube links around because this podcast is not only on iTunes, it's on Stitcher, it's on YouTube. Um, and YouTube's always the easiest way to, to share podcasts around. So by all means, do that. Um, if you want to be really, uh, if you want to make it really easy for yourself, just like, comment, um, you know, all those different things that you do on social media, all that stuff brings more activity to those posts and to the podcast episodes. And it'd be great to give this podcast episode in particular, and also Vinny's that's coming up a lot more exposure to bring more awareness to the tour next year. Um, also the Amazon portal on andysocial.net. If you're a regular shopper on Amazon, I strongly encourage you if you want to support the podcast to do your shopping via this portal link, you can save this link into your toolbars in your favorites. So you don't have to keep going to my website every time, uh, your shopping experience remains the same, but I get a small percentage of us lost for words there a small percentage of uh, what you do purchase and that little bit of money helps fund this podcast so it's very cool if you can help out anyway that's enough for me thank you so much and we'll be back next week hopefully and i'm pretty sure it'll be with Vinny. so that's going to be another really cool one and i'm sweating at the thought so we'll speak soon thanks guys bye-bye you're ready